0: Here we are, back again. Let's talk about God. Boom, ready to go, fired up. Rip Snorton. What is that?
1: Rip snorting. I've never even heard that in my life. Rip snorting, ready to go. <laughs> I didn't know something. Well, you like to say what? Natar Nation. That's one of your catchphrases. So it probably came from the same place as Rip Snorting. That's hilarious. Never yeah. heard of that in my life. But yeah, so next know, we're time, snorting, you know, we're ready to go. yeah, you're, you're like, you're all fired up, you're, say, we're rip-snorting and ready to go. That's funny.
0: Right. Well, today we are, we're talking about something that's interesting. We're talking about the Sermon on the Mount. But before we get going. I'm going to pop this. Go for
1: it. Oh, I just Great. shot Dr. Pepper.
0: Mm, your iPad's ruined now.
1: Everywhere. I should have right. done this before we started the podcast. Unbelievable. But we were so busy trying to get everything ready that it just kind of Unprofessional. I, I apologize to the studio audience. It's ridiculous. Okay. But as we're talking about the
0: sermon on the mount, why don't you tell me about You can give me you can give me
1: whichever is one no you want to definition give me for No, this. I don't
0: want a 30-second definition.
1: It's a I it's, want
0: you to tell me <laughs> what is the worst sermon you've ever preached or Like the most interesting, funniest, worst, unique, whatever sermon experience you've ever listened to, been a part of. Is that fair? Is that a broad enough question? Give me something funny.
1: Okay, so I was straight out of Bible college. No, I was actually still in Bible college, and my mom and dad lived in Florida, and I would go there for the summers, right? Well, the local pastors found out, and one of them went on vacation, so he asked me to come preach. And fill in while he was on vacation of course when you're a young preacher you'll preach anywhere so I went and preached that morning and then went home and came back that night to preach and your mom and I were dating at the time so she had come down her her dad, my father-in-law now took her brought her down so they could go on vacation and then we could see each other so that she was in town so she went with me and your grandmother, my mom went with us and, and mom played and we sang the little church so we, we sang that night and then I preached. I preached an hour and 20 minutes.
0: Oh, boy. What did you preach on?
1: Some Old Testament passage, and I had all this head knowledge from taking classes, and I went an hour and 20 minutes. And we got in the car, and uh, we drove back. It's about a 30, 40-minute drive. And mom, uh, my mom and your mom now, my mom and Leah, gave me a break and didn't say anything in the car until we got back home And we were sitting around the kitchen table, and then they both lit into me and let me have it. And the funniest part about this story is my mom, your grandmother, looked at me and said, son... There are only a handful of preachers that can keep my attention for an hour, and you aren't one of them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, just roasted you.
1: I mean, got me. Just roasted you. Got me. Now, the other interesting sermon, I mean, I could sit here and do this all day, but probably one of the most interesting sermons that I ever preached um, was a snake in the water pot.
0: So you're being serious. Yes. This is not funny.
1: No, the snake in the water pot. Nice. I had just been on the lake with a group of men from our church fishing, and we had just got back to the ramp, been out fishing for hours, and my phone rings, and your mom says, where are you? I said, well, we just got off the lake, and I said, I'm about to get in the truck come home. She said, get home now. She said, there is a snake in my water pot. I said, what? Got home, she would not go outside. She had this green (laughs) classic water pot, plastic water pot. It sat up on a bench, and a black snake had crawled up into that water pot. It was about four feet long and went into that water pot and curled itself around in there. I guess it was moist and dark, and I could not believe it. I peeked in and looked through the, the hole, the top, you know, where you put the water in, and there was these two beady eyes looking up at me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I took it in the woods, and because it was a black snake, I didn't you know, want to kill it because they are good snakes. And so I took it in the woods and finally got it out of the water pot and uh, got it out. It took me a long time to How'd get, you it. get it out. Oh, it was a process. I had a stick up in there, pulling it out, and just working it, and finally it came out. I mean, it's—I had no idea. Slithered out. It was like three or four, it was it was four feet. It was every bit four feet long. It was it oh. was unbelievable that it, that it could curl up in there. So I took the water pot back home, and God just dealt with me. And I preached a sermon on the water pot, the snake in the water pot, and I talked about how uh, that snake represented sin and the devil, and how when we're not saved, it's, it takes up residence in our life and controls us and it and it kills us the purpose that that was created to put water pour water on flowers. It had a purpose, but once the snake got in it, it destroyed its purpose, and that's what sin does. it destroys its purpose for us. but Jesus came to deliver us to get the snake out of the water pot and to set us free so that we could find our purpose once again and i I preached that message, and um i I got you know you get reviews from your people, and I guess I probably got more com- comments and compliments on that sermon than probably any other in 21 years of pastoring here was on that message. And somebody said to me, they said, why didn't you just leave it in the woods and go buy another one? I said, it's my water pot. I said, I wasn't going to let that snake have our water pot. It belonged to me. He was coming out, and I was going to keep it and take it back home because it was mine. And that's how I finished the message. I said, you wonder— why doesn't God just leave us in our sins and send us to hell? It's because he loves it, and he says to sin and the devil, you're not going to have that. Mm. They belong to me. They're made in my image. I have a pur- purpose for them, and you're not going to take them. They're mine. I'm fighting for them. And I said, Jesus is fighting for you. That's good. So how's that? That's real good. All right, that's a good podcast, y'all. Bye. <laughs> oh, no, we're, <laughs> we're not done. All all right. Okay, all
0: right. Oh, man. Hey, that's that's cool, though. That's funny, the the, the hour and 20 minutes. Yeah, don't ever do that. I can't say that I'd want to listen to that either. No offense. You're great, though. You're great for 30 to 40.
1: Well, thank you. When I went um, to—my whole ministry's only been in two churches here, in a church called Praise Cathedral in Greer. And uh, the pastor there was Bobby Johnson. My first Sunday there, he let me preach. And the first thing he said to me was, Son, we don't preach long around here. (laughs) I said, Yes, sir, I can take a (laughs) hit. And he preached 20 minutes. That's crazy. And so for years, I preached 20 minutes. I would practice— and craft my sermons that I would preach twenty minutes. Do you have time for what? Maybe one story. Yeah. Well, you, you preach can't fast. That a lot. You, you go into Yankee mode and talk real fast. But because I did that and I respected, I showed him respect, and I didn't get up there and and waste the time and take advantage of that opportunity. He was letting me in his mm-hmm. pulpit because I showed myself as a good steward. Uh, he let me preach a lot. Oh, that's because great. Because he knew he could trust me. So I learned my lesson.
0: Nice. I like it. Yeah. Well, today we're talking about not the funniest or worst sermon we've ever preached, but probably the greatest sermon ever written, if exactly. we want to call it a sermon. We're we're talking about the Sermon on the Mount. I'll give you a four-second definition. It's the sermon that Jesus preached in Matthew 5 through 7. Boom. A, a mountain sermon. It's a mountain sermon. Here you go. We'll get into it, though. All right. We'll, we'll do a little bit better than that, but... Um, uh, you know, a if high you, and lofty
1: message. Yes. <laughs>
0: That's funny. Sorry. Um, if you've been in Christianity for uh, you know any period of time, you've probably listened to a sermon based off of the Sermon on the Mount. You've probably heard reference to the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it's a pretty key section in the Bible, definitely one of the most important sections in the Gospel of Matthew, um, and it's received just a lot of attention in the years, I would say, In Christianity, it's just got a lot to it. It's just really good. And so today, we want to break down essentially saying what is the Sermon on the Mount? Why is it so important? What is it actually talking about? Um, What mountain was it even on? All kinds of different questions, and just seeing why do we need to pay attention to the Sermon on the Mount? But so if you if you look, it's in Matthew um, chapters five through seven basically five through seven, is this entire sermon. And so we we see Jesus um, right before that. He has basically just begun his ministry. That's what the picture that Matthew is painting. So he's just begun his ministry. He's recruited a few disciples. Um, He's done some miracles. He's done some healing, some things like that. So he's got the crowd on his side now through healing their bodies and different things like that. But then he turns attention um, to, in a sense taking care of their souls now to to teach and preach. And um, he's just been preaching the message of the kingdom, repent and believe, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And now he goes into this um, three-chapter span of teaching. And so as we look at this teaching, before we really get into it, here's what I would say is that there is an intimate connection between In the Old Testament, Moses going to Mount Sinai and receiving the commandments and the law from God and teaching the people, and Jesus going on this mount and teaching the people. Moses, um, he... He went up there, and basically there is God's crazy, awesome presence. His, his glory was there. Only Moses could, could teach. Well, Jesus has come, and he's teaching as God incarnate. He is among the people, among the, the crowds. When we look at the Ten Commandments, there's primarily like a, a a negative aspect to it. Like, don't do this, usually. and the Sermon on the Mount, we see a lot of positive affirmation. Do this, or blessed or those, or things like that um, at Sinai, Moses spoke to the people on god 's behalf. Jesus is speaking as one with authority. actually, when he gets done with the sermon, the people are like, "Who is this guy speaking with authority? Jesus is speaking as God, and then at Sinai, God is essentially establishing the nation of Israel, giving them their base laws their base philosophy their base commandments that they're going to live by well Jesus announced that the kingdom of heaven is here and now in the sermon on the mount Jesus is giving us kingdom principles of who we are supposed to be the way we are supposed to live not in this physical kingdom but in this spiritual kingdom called the kingdom of God
1: yeah I think I would I would think I would take that even further Evan is to say that it, at Sinai, God—I mean, I mean—I don't even know if you'd really say he was establishing the nation of Israel. I think more he was establishing or committing to them the the precepts and the principles and even the purpose of the nation. That, that's what made that so critical. Mm-hmm. They were getting the law of God, and in the same way, Jesus is giving the principles, the precepts, the 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 concepts. Uh, of the kingdom and even the purpose of the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. You see that of his rule and reign. So, But you're right. There is a, a tremendous uh, correlation there. And um, you know, we mentioned the kingdom of God. Um, that, that's a theme there. It's a theme for Jesus all throughout his ministry. Um, it presupposes repentance, uh, the kingdom of God. Those, those are things it talks about. Um, but I think that when, you, when it's all said and done, people say, well, what's it all about? Uh, It's about the way of discipleship. It's about being a disciple. It's about being a follower of Jesus. Mm -hmm. If you just want to take Matthew 5, 6, 7, this Sermon on the Mount, why is it so critical? Why why would we give a podcast to it? Mm -hmm. Why would we encourage every person listening to make sure you read chapters 5, 6, and 7? And more than once is because it shows you in a pragmatic way how to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you knew this, but did you know the the Gospel of Matthew actually has five sections to it? Five prominent like discourses,
0: sections? basically. Yeah, or... it's
1: called the fivefold Gospel. Yeah, and I'll show you this. It's uh, if you go to, so we're going to skip chapter five through seven. I'll come mm-hmm. back to it, but chapters chapter ten, verse five through forty two, talks about Jesus' mission. Mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, chapter thirteen, three through fifty two, talks about the kingdom. The
0: parables of the kingdom. The yeah. parables.
1: Chapter 18, 3 through 35 talks about the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, chapter 23 through chapter 25, verse 46 talks about his coming. So you've got his kingdom, his church, his coming, his mission. But the Sermon on the Mount talks about his righteousness.
0: Mm.
1: How do you be how how can you be right before God? If you want to be part of the mission, if you want to be in his kingdom, if you want to be a member of his church, if you want to be Uh, there ready when he's coming Yeah, he starts with this the first the first discourse is how to live righteously the key the key verse of um, the sermon on the mount uh, Mm -hmm. and I I I could look it up and and tell you but it's Matthew I think it's Matthew chapter 6 do you mind if I just look real quick instead of me guessing at it I could tell you what it is but let me just let me let me just tell you what it is um uh I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. Uh, we need a sponsor. I'd throw an ad in here. We need you? a sponsor right now. Uh, well, I'm having trouble finding it, but I'll, I'll I'll find it here in a minute. Oh, okay, here it is. It's chapter 5, verse 20. Mm-hmm. That's the key the key verse. So, you know, a lot of times we like, is there a key verse? Jesus said in chapter 5, verse 20, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes, Pharisee, and the Pharisees, yeah. you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Mm. So all they had was the quote unquote righteousness that was being taught to them by the religious leaders of the day, i.e., scribes and Pharisees, and it was law, 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 even legalism. Yeah, keep do this, do that. It was a law. It was a, it was a religion of works.
0: It was very man made too. It's not just obey the Bible. It's obey what we say.
1: Right, and so it was burdensome, and it was mm-hmm. not of God. And it was a righteous—you're righteous if you do all the right things according to us. Yeah. And he said, you, your righteousness has to exceed that. Mm. And I'm going to, in this sermon, this message, show you how you can exceed that righteousness and walk at a level of true, truly living right, truly living in obedience to God, living a life that's actually holy and acceptable to God, where you're actually not meeting man's standards— but I'm going to show you how to meet God's standards. That's good. Yeah. So, Is
0: there a reason you think, um, just kind of off the top of your head, why Matthew includes this as Jesus' first teaching? Because as the author of his own letter, you know, he could have shifted them around. He could have done the end times first and then speaking about the parables of the kingdom second. Why does Matthew, under obviously the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, say Jesus has just started his ministry. We just know of some general healings. Now, the first thing I want my readers to see is this Sermon on the Mount. Why do you think the contents are so key for us to read first before we get to the other
1: things? Well, I may be ignorant, but I think the very obvious answer is is chronologically, because I think he wrote chronologically, did he not? Sort of it was chronological. Most of the gospel writers are There's a general chronology
0: there, but he could have mixed it around. I guess if he wanted to make a theological point, he could have mixed it around if he wanted.
1: I think I referenced it earlier in those five discourses that, and and so I'll repeat myself. For for you can't enter the kingdom unless you understand what it takes to be a member of the kingdom. Yeah. Okay, it's the job description. You can't be in the church unless you know how to behave like somebody that's in the church. Um you're not going to go to heaven and be ready when he comes unless you act like this. Yeah. So I think this is foundational. Yeah. And so I think that's why it it's first.
0: It's almost kind of presenting the fruit of the root. You yeah. know what I mean? Here's how you know, here's how you know you're actually in the church, you're in my kingdom. Right. You look like this, you represent this. Um he's kind of given us laying the groundwork there, yep. which I think is really good. Yeah. Well here, why don't we do this? Why don't we just sort of break down the Sermon on the Mount, and walk through each major section. We don't have to go through every single passage, and we, we don't have time for that. That no, could go on for that's, that's not hours golden hours. But yeah. why don't we go through each section and kind of talk about what is what is Jesus saying, and see if maybe we can even make some sense about how all of these different sections work together. Um, there's all kinds of different ideas of, about how the Sermon on the Mount is broken down. Um, I did this myself, and I tried to give a really, really general view. So if you disagree on maybe how Matthew broke this down or how we can how we can break this down, feel free to correct me. Um, but it kind of starts out with chapter 5, verses 1 through 14, and this is sort of the 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 nature of, the, of a disciple or the attitude of a disciple, the disposition of a disciple in a way. And so we see Jesus giving the Beatitudes, the blessed are you if, that's kind of what Beatitude means, blessing. And then we see Jesus talk about salt and light. So as Jesus begins this, um, the, especially with the Beatitudes, it seems really, really backwards. So Jesus starts off by saying, okay, here are the people that are blessed that are going to enter into the kingdom of God. Here's here's what they're going to look like. And then Jesus doesn't say blessed are the rich. Jesus doesn't say blessed are the influential. He doesn't say, you know, blessed are the you name it. He definitely didn't say blessed are the Pharisees. Jesus starts off with blessed are the poor in spirit. He yeah. said blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are persecuted for my name. You know, blessed are those who mourn. Why is Jesus coming, proclaiming to be a king with a kingdom? And then he's telling people who are in these dire situations of being poor in spirit and mourning and persecuted and all these other things, why are they the ones who are blessed?
1: I, I had the same question for years. And then studying the Bible now for over 30 years, I felt like one day God gave me a revelation the Holy Spirit showed me, and it has made this... The, the Beatitudes make perfect sense to me. Mm-hmm. So if you're listening, let me just give it to you where you can visualize it. It's chapter 3 through 12, okay? Verse I three mean, verses 3, through, three, 12, three yeah. through 12 of chapter 5. So verse 3 through 12. So verses 3, 4, 5, and 6 all start with blessed. But here's what it says. And blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. They shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. They shall inherit the earth. Um, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be filled. That is a message to those who want to be saved. So would you say... So if you're poor yeah. in spirit, only the un, unborn again, are, or those who are not born and regenerated are poor in spirit.
0: And there are people who can make themselves that way. Well, let me...
1: Well, just state, you know I mean? see, the, it's a
0: disposition necessarily. Right. It
1: doesn't have to do with money is what I You're mean. spiritually poor. Yeah. You're, you're spiritually humble. poor. We are in yeah, poverty. That's what I mean. Yeah. Come, you have no money and buy from me. You know, the old Testament says yeah. you who have no money. We have no money just as I am. Yeah. So we come, we're poor in spirit. We mourn. Part of of being saved is godly sorrow that leads to repentance. That's what um,
0: the church father, John Chrysostom says. He says, those who
1: mourn over their own sin. The meek are those who are humble and come. So you must humbly come. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who would be the people of the day who say, the righteousness that these Pharisees and Judaism is trying to give me isn't there. It's empty. It's void. I am getting nothing. Mm. I am starving to be right with God, and I actually want to live right. I want to be a good person. And Jesus says, well, you're going to be blessed because I'm coming with the message of the gospel and the kingdom, mm-hmm. and you're going to be blessed. Right now you're not blessed, but because when, you, because when you are poor in spirit and you come to me, you're going to inherit an entire kingdom of heaven. Wow. Okay? And blessed are you and mourn because you're going to be comforted. You're not going to cry anymore over your sins because I'm going to forgive them and give you comfort. And blessed are me you because you're going to inherit the earth. You come and I'm going to make you a priest and a king and rule and reign with me one day. I mean, that's that. When he says earth, he means earth. He means the earth and bless those who hunger for righteousness. He said, "You're going to be filled. Mm. I'm going to fill you with my righteousness." Okay, so that's that's those verses. So if you understand them there, then they make sense. Yeah, he's preaching evangelistically. Yeah, then you go to the next verse through twelve, and he is now saying, and then once that happens to you and you are saved. Okay, then here's when it happens. You're going to change your whole life. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mm. you. are going to become a merciful person. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You're going to be, have a pure heart because I've saved you. Blessed are the peacemakers, so they should be called to son. You're not going to be an antagonist. You're not going to be a mean person. You're not going to get in fights with people, but you're a peacemaker. And people are going to recognize you as my child. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. See, that's only going to be for somebody who's saved. Yeah, see what I'm saying. Yeah, see the contrast between the two parts. Absolutely. And if you're if you're going to get persecuted for righteousness, because why 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 could you get blessed for persecuted for? I mean, blessed. Why could you be persecuted for righteousness sake? Because you were hungry for it, and God filled you with it. Mm. So and see, now you're walking it out. You're the one showing mercy, right? And so now yours is, and yours is the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. Wow. So see, that's how I gain that. So right off the bat. If you want to understand the Beatitudes, because a lot of times we read them and we're not quite sure what it makes that sense. That throws us off. First three verses, three, four, 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 three, four, five, 6, are about getting saved. It's evangelistic. The remaining verses, seven, eight, 9, 10, 11, 12, six verses, are, are after you're saved. Here's the blessing. So there's a blessing for you if you'll just come to me and let me save you. And there's a blessing for you after you save me. Mm, that's good. Does that make sense? That's really and, good. And then once he does, then it flows into the salt and light. It continues that concept of now that you're saved, all right, then here's what you are. Not only are you going to be blessed by me, but you're going to be a blessing. You're going to be the light and the salt. All right, so what do you mean by, like, light and salt when you say that? Uh, well, the just the natural transition is because you're saved now and you're righteous before you're being blessed by God, but now you can be a blessing. So wow. you can be salt, influencing your community, and light, shining Jesus in your home, in your community, city, and in your in your in your community. And so there's a progression there. You can see that I'm not saved. I get saved, and then I become someone who, because I've had this radical transformation in relationship with God, not a religion that now I'm going out, not making proselytes, but I'm just shining Jesus, and I'm mm. having a positive influence on the culture. And by the way, um, this great, just we'll just throw out little stuff here. Uh, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot mm. be hidden. Men do not light a, a, a lamp to put it under a bushel basket. Look at the three components. We'll go backwards. Uh, men do not light a lamp to put under a bushel basket. That's talking about your home. You're supposed to be a witness of the, of the saving power of Jesus Christ to your immediate family. Then wow. he said, a city set upon a hill cannot be hidden. You are supposed to be the light in your community, in the city, the town where you live, the people that you do business with and work with that you should have an influence. And then even in the world, the church collectively, the universal church, we we are to be the light everywhere. Wow. Christianity is not a Western civilization thing. It's not an American thing. It's It's not a... Whatever it is, we are to light this whole world up. To go everywhere, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature.
0: That's good. I've never picked up on that. Yeah. On that, wow, that's really good. Thanks. So we can see as Jesus is is introducing this message, he's got a natural outlook on things, and I would even say that as we continue to uh, compare this to Moses. Well, what does God want the Israelites to do way back then? He gives them this law, makes them a kingdom of priests, and wants them to be holy. And he specifically puts their nations where they're physically surrounded by all of these idolatrous nations. Why? Because they were called to be a light to the world. They were called to be the salt of the earth. They were called to make a difference. And now as Jesus is bringing his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, shaping the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Once again, what it, what is he doing for them? I'm going to call you. You're going to be humble. You're going to get saved. I'm going to teach you true, real righteousness, not Pharisaical righteousness. And then you're going to go make a difference in your family, in your city, and
1: in the world. And help others define that righteousness. To hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, he's just he's
0: replaying, in a sense, what he was doing with the Israelites in a. Um, what we know is a much more real and effective way. Right. Except but,
1: this time, instead of, they'll be starting with the nation of Israel. Remember, his audience is is a Jewish audience here. Yes. But ultimately, this is being written down in a gospel. Mm-hmm. He knows that the church will far surpass just the the nation of Israel, but it will include the Gentiles. Exactly. And so, this is a message for the church, Jew and Gentile, that were born again, the redeemed. And so now it's a worldwide effort. Absolutely. Through the Catholic Church. Little C Catholic. Catholic meaning universal, (laughs) not big Catholic, little C.
0: Not Roman Uh, Catholic, all Christians. All right, so now as we move in to the next section, um, verses 17 through 20, Jesus is now giving a little preface because what he's about to do is Jesus is about to comment on the law in verses 21 through 48. He's going to take it, clarify it, improve it, and... Just to be honest, make it harder. But before Jesus begins to address the law, he actually gives us this little preface about his interaction with the law. Jesus was accused, as you read the Gospels, of doing away with the law of Moses. That was one of the things that they lied about. They said Jesus wants to get rid of the law of Moses. He wants to teach people to disobey the law. He's saying that the law is bad. Uh, he, he's got all of these accusations, accusations, not accusations, that's not a real word. He's got all these accusations against him, and he, he knows that he will as he continues on with his ministry. So Jesus makes this little comment before he deals with the law, about what he came to do. You've got your Bible open. Would you just read that, those three verses, 17 through 20? And then let's talk about, before we get into it, what's Jesus'
1: relationship with the law? So he said, do not think that I came to destroy the law, of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Mm. So he's wanting to make certain, because he would be accused of abrogating the law and the prophets, that he would be ignoring them and that he would be teaching people, you don't have to keep the law. Well, of course, the religious leaders of the day are going to mm-hmm. use that against him. And so he's trying to argue, I'm not coming to destroy the law, but rather I'm going to fulfill the law because the law finds its fulfillment in him.
0: Absolutely. And so,
1: so he say, that's why he said, for assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle <laughs> will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. And if you're wondering that... I'm sorry, um, hold on, jot and tittle. We got, jot, that's what I'm like. Right, this actually is a word that some people... Have you ever heard the word iota? Yes. Like not one iota. People say, well, that's the Greek word for jot. It's iota.
0: Like imagine like the little dot when you're writing an i, that tiny little dot when you make the lowercase Well, lower that's actually I. the
1: smallest letter. Yeah. And then a tittle is what you're talking about. The tittle is the smallest stroke in a Hebrew letter. That's, I'm sorry, Jot and Tittle. You got to laugh at that. That's yeah. funny. So right, it, continue on. But what he's trying to say is there's nothing in God's law. If God said it, it's going to happen. So he says I'm, he's trying to use extremisms. Jesus mm-hmm. was great at that, by the yeah, way. Yeah, he was. You know, you and he a sw- swallow a camel. and Cut your hand off. Yeah, tear your eye and, out. You know, why, why do you look at the plank that is in your own eye? Mm-hmm. And, you know, whatever. So he does these extremisms to make his point, and his point is, the law is going to come to pass. So I'm here to fulfill it. And even to even then to uh uh like give force to this, he says, Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So now he's merging the law mm. with his kingdom. So you see that now before he's just talking about the law, but all of a sudden he's merging. So he's saying in the kingdom of God, you're going to actually have to teach the law. The law's not, yeah, we're not getting rid of the law. We're right. incorporating it into the kingdom. And, and, but what he was talking about was not the ceremonial law. He wasn't talking about the civil law. He was talking about the moral law. When Jesus the, says that he comes to Ten fulfill the
0: law, so when we want to talk about the law for national Israel, where, well, he's, he, the kingdom of heaven is, is much greater than national Israel. So bam. That's out of here. When we want to talk about the ceremonial law, Jesus fulfills that, and that all of the types and shadows, Jesus is the reality, and he improves upon it. So when we want to talk about the day of atonement, like we talked about in the The last last episode on the priesthood of Jesus, well, he is our high priest. The final and better one. He is our sacrifice. The final and better one. He is our Passover sacrifice. The final and better one. Jesus is doing all of these different things. Circumcision is is uh, improved upon through baptism. We are baptized in water now, not through circumcision. That's how we enter the family of God. All of these different things. Jesus is coming to fulfill the ceremonial right. law.
1: He fulfills the ceremonial law. And in the means, reality. In reality. So there's no need for it anymore. Exactly. But this next verse says the commandments
0: now so, jesus is speaking on the moral on law on the moral morality law, which are the changes.
1: 10 commandments yep so he uses the word commandments so you don't have to keep all this ceremony law anymore i'm going to fulfill it mm-hmm. its purpose was to to point to me till i've come while well, i'm here exactly so it's fulfilled we don't need, but over here the moral law the 10 commandments it's, it's it will it's always been wrong to murder, murder it's wrong to murder and it will always be wrong to murder always has yeah. been will be is now all ten commandments has been, is, and will be. Okay. And so then that then it gets to that verse twenty. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll by no means enter in the kingdom of heaven.
0: Can I take a pause here? Yeah. When we when we say that unless our righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's make a clarification here. I've heard teaching in the past, and I believe this gets it's its origin in in Lutheranism, in Martin Luther, that even as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, we're supposed to look at it in a way of, we'll never be as good as the scribes and Pharisees. They had the whole Old Testament memorized. They never messed up. Uh, there's no way we could ever do any of these things. Jesus is trying to show us that it's impossible to fulfill the law, so we just look to him to do it for us. Is Jesus basically? Is Jesus trying to tell us, I'm giving you something impossible? Or is Jesus trying to tell us, no, I actually want you to do these things?
1: Yeah, and thats I don't know where that came from. I guess maybe it was Luther. It came from and it, Luther. And it's, and it's kind of, it depends on who the preacher is and the denomination, the church, whatever, and understanding. But it's a thing. I didn't know it was a thing because my whole life, my approach has been, that we're supposed to do these things. At, that's that's the, the way I interpret you, it. It's you, not legalism or Jesus trying to give us life. merit. It's, li- it's, it's it's just righteousness. It's righteous living. This yeah. is how you live right. That's if you just put it in terms that we all understand. This is how you live right. Okay, yeah. and you you should do these things. But further than that, you can do these things. Yeah, and and what Jesus is saying is they're not going to get this here because he doesn't go into this. But Paul explains this. If I fulfill the law, okay, and Jesus kept all the Ten Commandments, then if the Jesus that did all that, I get saved and Jesus lives in me through his Holy Spirit, then I can live right because I'm in Christ and I have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of me that I can say no to sin and I can say yes to God and I can say no to what's wrong and I can make a decision to do what's right— and so, and here's what Jesus. And they didn't we have that saying. under Judaism.
0: We're also not saying that if that Jesus is saying, okay, if you fail one time at these, boom, you're in you're in hell. No. Game's over. Jesus isn't presenting that to us. No. He's telling us, do these things. I'm going to empower you to do these things, and we've got to interpret Scripture with Scripture as we look at the rest of Scripture. Of course, you're going to fail. You ask for forgiveness, and you continue to grow in sanctification. But Jesus is not basically saying give up, you'll never be able to do yeah, because this. because
1: in the same Sermon on the Mount, he said, forgive people their trespasses yep. because if you don't, your Father in heaven won't forgive yours. So yeah. the implication is, because <laughs> he said, but if you do forgive men, then God will forgive. So the implication is that God will forgive you of your sins and save you. And then after, you know, then as you go through life, there'll yep. be times when you make wrong decisions and you sin, God will forgive you again if you come humbly and pray and ask for forgiveness. So yeah, this... this this, this is the standard. As a matter yeah. of fact, he raises a standard because all through here he says, "You've heard that it was written, but I say unto you."
0: Well, take us through those. There's six things essentially that Jesus does, and so what Jesus does here is, you're right, he takes these these uh, these moral principles that he has laid out in the Old Testament. He actually takes it, he clarifies it, he shows us its true intent, and in doing so, he actually makes it harder. In every situation, I, I
1: wouldn't say that. I, I don't know. If you don't that's think it's fair. harder? Uh, well, I don't say "harder" is the right word. I think it's about clarity. Okay. Okay. Because it's it's in chapter five. It's the rest of chapter five. So, it's anger, um, uh, and murder, lust and adultery, divorce and remarriage, taking oaths, uh, and then an eye for an eye, which is retaliation and then loving your enemies. Mm-hmm. That's what He So he would say in each one of those, he talks about those. And he'll say, you have heard that it was said, but I say it to you. And so what he does is he gives the Old Testament scriptures and law, okay? So you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In other words, if somebody knocks your tooth out, you get to knock their tooth out. If they poke your eye out, you get to poke this retaliation. And the point that it's just
0: retaliation, it's not this barbaric society. It's
1: just... Right. It, what am I? Just retribution. It's just retribution, you know. So it's not it's supposed to be done in the law, or whatever, with a judge. But he said, "I say unto you." And so what he does is he he takes them deeper than the face value of the law or mm-hmm. the simple precept. But he goes deeper into the principles behind those laws and says, "Let's let's go deeper and find the principle." So you know, the one that everybody, especially men, you know, he said, "If you, you know, it said that you shall not." Um, uh, what's the one about lust? If you, you, you shall not commit adultery. So that's mm-hmm. in the, the big ten. Yeah. Ten commandments. But then he says, But I say to you whoever looks on a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in her heart. And, and and so that you know what that means too, if you just want to take it, it means that you look on a, a another woman or married woman and you desire to her mm-hmm. okay to have to, to have, have sexual intercourse with her, and you you you're playing it out in your mind. You're fantasizing. You're basically it.
0: saying that I could if I would.
1: Well, and you play it out. Yeah. I mean, in your mind, you're 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 yeah. committing the act in your mind. Okay, so it's not just the thought. It's it's the full blown. Yeah. I wish I had that woman right now, mm-hmm. and, and, and and I'm thinking what I would do with her. Mm-hmm. Then Jesus said, you've already committed it. You didn't do the physical act, but he said, it's happened in your heart. So he said, what's, what's the difference? There isn't any. He said, yeah. you've already committed it in your, in your mind, in your heart. It's in your heart. And that's his point is, is that it's not just the actions, but it's the intent or the motive. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it goes back to the to the, what is the nature of your heart. And so he's getting to the heart of the matter when it comes to righteous things. And, and see, now, okay, I'll give you this. That does make it maybe harder because it's easier if you just have these superficial laws. Because you know what we do? We find loopholes. Yeah. We find loopholes around the laws. And that's what the Pharisees did. Absolutely. And, and Jesus said, oh, no, 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 no. You're not going to, this isn't about how can I not keep it? When you get saved and you get right with God, your heart's desire is, how can I keep the law? How can I please God? I love him, and I want to please him and serve him and obey him. I
0: think you get to the heart of it there is it brings it back into actually wanting to be righteous. And like you said, loving and obeying him, it comes back to that relationship. That when Jesus clarifies what he means, he doesn't mean just figure out how to not break these laws and then find a loophole around it to satisfy your own sinful desires. It means, no, I actually want to serve and obey Jesus to its fullest extent, which comes to my heart, my life, and what I think in private and do in private and everything else. It's not just, how can I skirt around this and just not get judged? You know what I mean? It's it's far greater than yeah, that.
1: He, he he is teaching something That the presupposition is that there will be a major radical character and nature transformation Mm -hmm. that'll occur. And that's why this was so radical, because they did not have that. Yeah. And so they're like, You gotta be kidding me. Like you're you're challenging us to live in such a way. And I think deep down in their spirits and their hearts, they knew that it was possible. They knew enough about the God they served that God could change, and they knew the righteous men of the past like David and others. They knew that Samuel, whatever, Noah, Enoch walked with God and was not for God. To... They knew it was possible, but they weren't getting any teaching on this.
0: And they've got to think back, too, to the, all of those prophecies that says, I'm going to write the law on your hearts. I'm going to replace the heart of stone with the heart of flesh. Like Jesus' teaching necessitates a new and better covenant, because he's talking about a heart transformation, not just pure action. And transformation. when you've lived
1: under dead religion or no religion, and a life that has been totally selfish and self-centered and is meaningless, and you have everything in the world, and yet you are empty on the inside, and a guy like this comes along who happens to be God, and is telling you now, let me let me show you the real way. Mm-hmm. It resonated with those people. They didn't. They didn't say. Why would we want to do that? We got this little system. No, deep in their hearts, people said, "I'm going to die and go to hell. I, I, I don't want to be right with God." There's a there's something inside of us that God created to have relationship with Him. And so there's a part of us that says, what must I do to be saved? As that man said, what there's do I
0: got to do? Genuine hunger and thirst for righteousness.
1: It, it's there. It, yeah. it may not. Now, some people fight it, but it's there. And I think that's why it resonated with the crowd.
0: But there, were, there was a certain crowd that it didn't resonate with, and that's the Pharisees. And as we actually look into this next section, Jesus just takes some time. To go in on the Pharisees, the, these are his the, the arch nemesis in a sense, um, humanly speaking, uh, because these are these are the men who are in places of power. They were religious men, um, and they were the ones who invented rules that were not found in the Bible. Rules that often would directly uh, contradict Scripture. For instance, Jesus confronts some of them. Because the Bible says to honor your father and mother, well, the Pharisees came up with a rule that says, if you give us all of your money instead of using your means to take care of your elderly parents, then you're fine. God's not mad at you. You can ignore that commandment. They would come up with all of these random, horrible, selfish, greedy laws of their own and bypass God's. Well, and, and their
1: righteousness wasn't a real righteousness. And, and I'm just, just we're going through the scriptures, I love it because... He says, like, so like verse 2 of chapter 6, when you do your charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do. Yep. And then the next one he says, as the hypocrites do. And then the, I think one of them he says, as the heathen does. Yep. So he, he finally went to the heathen, which are people who don't know God the, the at Gentiles, all. The Gentiles, yeah. But several, and then he goes back again to the hypocrites. Well, that's, those are, that's a veiled reference to the scribes and Pharisees. Yep. I mean, so in this first sermon later, he just blasts them. Yep. He said, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you do this, and that, and this, and that. He just lays them out. But on this first sermon, he kind of went easy and just did a <laughs> veiled reference. Vailed but don't it. you know his audience knew exactly? Well, they
0: knew the men who shouted, look at the money we're giving, and they knew the men who went in and prayed real loud yep. on the corners and all of these different things. Who were the they hypocrites. Knew they were. Yeah. And so Jesus spends considerable time teaching them true righteousness in, you know, up against the the fake righteousness of the Pharisees. So basically when the Pharisees would give money to the poor, I don't know if they would actually sound a trumpet. They maybe did. They let everybody know. That's the point. When they would pray, I know they would actually stand on the street corner and they would choose the times when they knew that people would be out and they would pray real loud. To when seem they, spiritual. Exactly. When they fasted, they would religious. make themselves look tired and let people know that they fasted and they did it on regular days. They they cared about money so much that they were constantly trying to get money for people. They were very, very rich. And so that's why Jesus basically says, don't hoard up treasures here like they do. Hoard up treasures in heaven. Be righteous. And that even kind of transitioned into Jesus saying, don't be anxious. If I take care of the animals, if I take care of the birds, don't hoard money to try to take care of yourself. Live for me, and I'll provide what you need.
1: And by the way, on a positive note, um, Jesus said, when you pray, when you do your charitable deeds or give money, when you fast, well, he said, when you do this, when you do this, when you do that, I guess that means he expects us to... Do those things. He sure does. So he expects you to pray.
0: And he says when you do it in secret, your father sees you.
1: Right. He sees you, and he sees you when you don't do it. So for mm. all of our listeners, you need to be praying, you need to be giving, and you even need to be fasting Yeah, because God expects it. Those aren't just things that are options.
0: Exactly. Just thought I'd throw that in that's there. That's good. That's really good. Give to the church and give give to those in need. Yes. Specifically, that's, that's what he was clowning on the Pharisees for doing. They were giving to the needy. And but they were doing it for all the wrong reasons. And so Jesus comes to give us true righteousness, which is doing good things to actually get close to God, to actually be just, to actually do it for the right reasons, and to rely on God. And then finally, um, tell me if you've got a better subheading for this. Tell me if you've got a better way of grouping this in your mind. Jesus kind of ends this sermon, uh, Matthew 7, verses 7 through 28, and I simply just called this new kingdom principles. They're kind of—I don't want to call them one-off, but they're maybe not as cohesive as Jesus addressing the law and the Pharisees. And he gives us a number of kingdom principles. Do you have a bit, maybe, a better subtitle for that? For uh, what we're about to talk no, about? No,
1: I, I think you're right because um, I think he's—you know—he's like any pastor, or preacher. He's—he's he's coming to the climax of his message. I think you—you usually save the whatever it is you want to stay with the congregation, Mm -hmm. usually that's your last point, that closing thing that you want to resonate, and usually with an application. And so he talks about not judging, and then he talks about um, prayer and persistent prayer, and then he talks about salvation, enter the narrow way, so there's kind of a— Gives us the golden rule. Gives us an altar call, and then, yeah, and then he gives the golden rule— I think he's just given the the things that, uh, that I think he thinks are kind of the highlights. Maybe uh, we
0: could view it like this. Jesus before, is, the sermon, has, the has preached his sermon, and maybe now it's, all right, as you're acting this out, don't go judging other people because we're still, none of us are perfect, and the Pharisees want to judge other people. As you're acting this out, and I've taught you the Lord's Prayer, um, here's also how you pray. Pray full of faith, believing in my name, you're going to get it. As I've taught you to be righteous, here's how we can sum it up. Love your neighbor as yourself, doing to them as you would have them doing to you. As you're living this out, there are going to be some false prophets that want to tear you along the way. As you're living this out, um, you know it's a narrow way, so you know do this right. As you're living this out, trust that if you build your life on these words, if you live this out, you've built on a sure foundation. Maybe it's a
1: closing way it is. of his sermon. It's a clo- and I love the way he closed it. You know, we were in, in uh, you know, I was growing up in Sunday school. We used to sing, the wise man build his house upon the rock. Yeah, we you did know, that too. <laughs> you, 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 you can't see me, but, you know, you take your fists and ball them up and you stack yeah. one on top of the other back and forth, back and forth. And the rains came tumbling down, rains yeah. came down, and the floods came. And so we would sing that, but... So that helps you think about that sermon, the house on the sand, the house on the rock. But that's not—those are images. The words that Jesus say that the images are supposed to reinforce is whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. And every preacher will tell you when they get finished preaching, their heart's desire and what they try to say is, now, I've just spent 30 minutes, 35 minutes, whatever, Giving you this powerful word of God, now go do it.
0: Yeah, what are you going to do about what it? What are you going
1: to do about it? Yeah. You know, it's take them and do it. And if you don't do it, it's not going to be good for you. But if you'll do it, you're going to be blessed. And I think that's what Jesus was saying is, okay, I've, I've given you this powerful message. And if you don't do it, it's going to be detrimental. Mm-hmm. Okay? But if you'll do it, you're going to find your life solid, built on the rock. It's going to be on God, and you're going to and you're going to stand, be able to stand through anything in life. So yeah, it, it was a, just a classic. I mean, it's, it's good. I mean, God can preach better than any of us. That's for sure. We know that's His word. I love it because I mean,
0: if you're taking preaching principles, Jesus perfectly combined doctrine and action. So much so that he's able to look at you at the end and going, are you going to do what I just told you? Yep. He wasn't stuffy professor up there giving you whatever, and then he wasn't just life coach out of nowhere, but Jesus interacted with the scriptures, interacted with real life, and then gave you something to do about it and then gave you a challenge, something uh, every preacher can learn from. I was
1: going to say, maybe we just close on that to say, first of all, if you're a preacher that's listening, make that the goal of your messages. Okay, read books on preaching and and have a good introduction. Preach the word, throw in some illustrations, but always let it be about what thus says the Lord. Preach mm-hmm. what, what God, let God's work, because God's word is what changes people. Like you said, it's not the life applications, whatever. At the same time, I heard, I took a class in my graduate, when I was doing my graduate work on um, preaching, and, and the, the thing I took away from that, I mean, I took away so much, but this is stuck with me. My professor said, there is never anything wrong with the message, it's always the messenger. Yep. You can preach on plumbing. You can preach on 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 screwing a, a plate into the wall, you know, for a socket. Yeah. You can preach on anything, but if you get illustrations and stories and you can you can bring the audience into it, it you can do it. There yeah. are ways to do it. It's nothing wrong with the message. It's the messenger. How do you deliver? And so there's nothing wrong with God's word, but make sure you preach God's word because there is today this this trend towards being like you said a life coach and if you can fake it you can make it and you know i make this a joke and 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 you you know god
0: principles for a healthy life god wants to bless you and you
1: have to be positive and you know don't don't be negative and and all those things are true but that you need to preach thus saith the lord because the word of god is what liberates us
0: and i've heard a preacher I can't remember who it was, but it was someone who taught them. They said they'd, they'd listen to certain preachers, and they'd go, mm, he doesn't have a burden. That's yeah. how they describe it, and it's every time <laughs> you preach, preach with a burden, and Jesus very clearly is preaching with a burden. I mean, he's the Son of God. Come to die for these people. He's no mere itinerant preacher. He created them. Right. He was there. He is the I am, and so he's coming, looking at his creation, um, you know, with a broken heart at the sinful state that they're in and with just a actual burden to see them understand true righteousness. and You,
1: you, you should preach with heart, preach yeah. with passion, preach with feeling, uh, preach in your context, preach where the needs of your people are. But when it's all said and done, the only thing that will meet that need is preach the word. And then at the end, say to them, what are you going to do about it? And challenge them. Um, Always give them something to do, too. Give them something to do. Make sure you don't just... Give them. Make sure it's it's not
0: ba- unbalanced on either side. Make sure you always give them doctrine. Give them good stuff. Give them rich biblical theology. And then all of that. Make it pragmatic. Give practical. them something to yeah. do. here's
1: what we do. This is how you flesh this out. Yep. Even the epistles by Paul and Paul was they always were structured that. Structured. way. He was the, he was it was very um, doctrinal, and mm-hmm. then it was practical. If you look
0: at Ephesians and Colossians, they're very very similar both in content but in layout. It's like. The first three chapters are just crazy doctrine. The last three are practical. are practical.
1: Romans is the same way. It's wonderful. And I think that's what Jesus, and that's what preachers should do. So make sure you do that. Give them, and, and here's another thing is um, ask questions. Some people think the pastor or the preacher should have all the answers. M- my thing has always been preachers should ask all the questions. Yeah. Ask questions that make people uncomfortable. Ask, ask questions that make people look in the depths of their soul and say, am I where I need to be? Am I doing what I'm supposed to do? And now it won't make you popular. So if you want to be popular, you don't need to pay attention to this. But your job is not to be popular.
0: Jesus' preaching got him crucified, by the way.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and he lost crowds. He, when he went deep, yeah. he preached shallow. You can have a crowd. You start going deep, he lost people.
0: You know how Jesus got crowds? He healed people. He gave them food. food. He multiplied bread. You When know Jesus lost people, he preached deep theology and told them like it was.
1: Yeah, and made them, made them go deeper. And, uh, and so that's it for those, for the listeners who are not preachers. Here's, here's my challenge to you is make sure that you're, you're hearing good, solid preaching Mm -hmm. wherever you're going to church. Um, you know, be in a church where the pastor, you know, he doesn't have to be the prince of preachers. Okay. But, but get in a church with a good, solid preaching and you need that by the way, Um, as a pastor of a local church, I thank God for podcasts. We do a podcast for all of our preaching and I know the vast majority of people who listen to it are high praises people, but I know there are people outside the church Mm -hmm. who listen to it, but I don't ever want to take the place of their pastor. You need to hear that shepherd because that shepherd knows you. He knows your context. He knows what that church is going through, your community is going through. He knows what you need and he may not be as good as, some other, and I'm not going to name Most names, people
0: but, aren't as good as you name it. Yeah, you <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> name it.
1: But they're good, they're perfect for you. Yeah, they may not be you. as good, but they're perfect for you because they love you and they're your shepherd, and you need to hear what they say. Okay, if you want to listen to other people, fine, but you need to hear what your shepherd has to say. And there's a reason
0: God's given you a local pastor because there are there are people with large ministries that are fantastic, but they don't know you but your pastor knows you. Your pastor knows when your family's struggling, when your community's struggling, when something's happened in your city or your town. He's there specifically for you. He's praying over you. And uh, TV preachers, preachers on the internet may bring a good general
1: word for the church, but your pastor gets you. I know a guy right now uh, that made the statement. He used to go to church um. Every Sunday, I mean, for decades, and got a little burnt. Saw some things in the church, uh, and he just made a decision. He stays home on Sunday and watches a TV preacher or, or an internet preacher, mm. and he says that's my church. Well, you know that sounds great, but he's robbing himself of the joy of being part of a community of believers. The necessity of being part of a community of believers of having a shepherd who looks over him and is there for him when he needs him, uh, of being a contributor, of being a helper, whether that's volunteering or giving or just being present as part of a family. Mm-hmm. And that's not the way to go. And and so if you're listening to this podcast today, we would both encourage you, wouldn't we, to yeah. get in a local church and um, where you can hear good preaching. It might not be the Sermon on the Mount, but <laughs> it might be about the Sermon on the Mount.
0: I heard this quote, and maybe we can end on this, from um, this church father in the 200s. His name was um, St. Cyprian of Carthage. He said, you cannot have God as your father unless the church is your mother. How beautiful is that? You can't connect to God as your father unless the church is your mother. If you would break off from the church, if you want to be not in union with the church, you want to break off or whatever, you can't do it. You've got to be connected to God the church in some way, somehow. It's how God designed it.
1: Because yeah, we are the body of Christ. You're a member of a mm-hmm. body, and the member of the body is connected to the body. Exactly. Good stuff. Cool.
0: Well, look, we hope this helps you today. Go ahead and give us a rate and review online, especially through Apple Podcasts. That actually gives us more exposure Um, Go ahead and share this, share this on Facebook, Instagram, send a text to somebody who needs it, Uh, whatever it is, share this so that we can just get the message and get good, faithful, biblical teaching to as many people as possible. As always, if you've got a question that you want to submit, find us at High Praises Church on Facebook or Instagram. We're based in Anderson, South Carolina, and send us a direct message. However many questions it is, go ahead. We've had people send us messages with like five or six questions at a time. Whatever you've got, just go ahead and send it in. We may answer it at the end of an episode, or hey, we may even make an entire episode about it. Go ahead and send your questions in, um, and we will answer that when we can. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks.